Pod, 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 pod. Rugby pod. Hello and welcome to the Rugby Pod, brought to you as usual by our good friends at Guinness. A massive thanks to Guinness for all their support throughout the season. Uh, we're still enjoying a few Guinness responsibly from home at the moment, but are looking forward to seeing you and sharing one with you at some point at a live show eventually when things do get back to normal. Big Jim and Gertie are with me as usual. Hey, how you doing boys? How was your week? Pretty uneventful. There's got to be something happening in Jim's life though, because um, not a day goes by without fun in your house, eh Jim? Mate, nothing's happened. You're not going to... Oh, yeah, did yeah. you? Yeah. Go on then, fill us in. That was it. That was, that was literally <laughs> as exciting as it got. I looked, in, looked myself in the mirror and thought, what kind of a man am I? Who am I? I'm Jean Val. Jean, well, I'm not, I'm, I'm Big Jim, but like that wouldn't go with that kind of song. But yeah, I uh, I cut my hair. That was it. And I, I mean, I can see the sides. Sides are looking okay. A bit of a fade up there, is it? Mate, I have. I've done the size. I've done the fade, the high and shite or the high and tight, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I'm happy with it, to be honest with you. I've, you're going to ask me about the back. I ain't seen the back. I don't know. How can I see the back? <laughs> you're not bothered by the back. You're just on the side, no, so you look better mate, face I, on. I, I, I don't ever see the back, so it doesn't really affect me, does it? But no, not a lot, mate. There's not a lot to report on. There's obviously been a load of drama on the news, which I have now engaged in. Oh, no. I know. Matt, I'm loving it, mate. I'm loving it. So he has absolutely broke me. Dominic come Mings, come Mings, come Mings, come br- br- Mings. He, he's broken me, mate. So I ain't getting all political on you, but the rage and the anger that I had at home, having been through what we've been through, and abiding by the rules, and me and my missus both being ill for two or three days with four children. Not that I'm a topper, but I'm a topper with four kids. And that was a long time ago, and we got through it. And, uh, mate, I'm frustrated. But, look, I'm used to it now. It's uh, it's normal life where we're at now. The dog's good. The kids are healthy. Uh, I am so bloody fit at the minute. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's just absolutely obscene. I mean, if I'm going to speak honestly and humbly, uh, I've never been fitter. I've never been more ripped. My hair's on point, and uh, I've got no one to share it with. I've got no one to share these things with. What you what you mean is you've got no one to be honest with you and, and just give you some home truths. Because in reality, what you're saying, I can say that as well, Jim. I can say I'm, I've never been fatter. Sorry, fatter. I've never been fatter. Is what I, I can mean. see you. But that's true. That's right. I can see you on air. How do you know this is the fittest you've ever been? How do you know it's not? I'm well, not actually, I'm to, be, to be fair, in Jim's in Jim's defence, I did see someone put a picture up on social media last week, didn't they? Of you with your only ball carry of your career on the front of a Gloucester A team. That was London Irish. That was my debut. Monstered, monstered about three or four guys. That that Christoph Halafia or whatever his name is, that big guy, absolutely monstered him on that carry. <laughs> yeah, of course you did. Uh, but in reality, um, comparing yourself as a fitness freak now to back then. Back then, mate, there was there was about four Jim Hamiltons, wasn't there? You were an absolute monster. Your body fat was about 34%. You know, you had a big bushy beard, a big bushy hairdo, a big bush downstairs. It was just a different man. Uh, but I was a great bloke, <laughs> uh, i tell you about that. Interesting, Andy Rowe, you, you talk about how I'm measuring these things. So I've got a bit more competitive. Spoke about it a couple of weeks ago. It could have been last week. It could have been the week before. It could have been eight weeks ago. I don't know. Um, but there's a part of me that is feeling that competitive edge again so i've got some scales and back on the scales about 118 kgs which is a good fighting weight for me that's lighter than me (laughs) (laughs) 
slightly different weight but there's a there's a few guys actually out there and, and the watt bike is being used by many professional uh sports teams out there i've always loved the watt bike uh because naturally um i've struggled to run a little bit as the knees have started to give way and the back and the ankle and the shoulders. I don't know why my shoulders hurt when I run, but they do. So the Watt bike's always been a good bit of kit for me, but I went away from it because the, the numbers started to dwell and the competitiveness started to turn into frustration. Not now. So there's a few of us that go on the Watt bike and kind of do some challenges and stuff out there. Xander Fagerson, the Glasgow Scotland tight head prop, he's pretty good on it. So he's been sending me some stuff, wiped the floor with him. Nick Wood, me old fruity dude, me old ref. So do you remember Nick Wood at Gloucester? Oh, my breath. Mate, oh my breath. Unbelievable <laughs> on the Watt bike. Taking him to the cleaners as well. And Keith, Alex, mate, it was actually Keith um, Grosey that got me into the Watt bike again because, as we know, he's big into his swimming and stuff like that. Um, I've realised why he can swim. He can breathe through the teeth. If you, can. Could breathe, if you can breathe through your teeth and put a snorkel, <laughs> if you can put a snorkel between your two front teeth, mate you're, mate, you're swimming for years non-stop anyway. So I've worked that out. Um, and he got me into it because he sent a few kind of what bike photos and stuff. And it's like anything in life. You only post your good life. And James Parks, who's the Exeter strength and conditioning coach, he's been interacting. And he's been giving me energy by telling me how good my scores are. So by, I'm one of them guys, mate, you feed me energy. I am literally like Pac-Man, mate. I am chomping it to bits and I'm just going further. So it's frightening. It's actually frightening how fit I am at the minute. And you can't see how good I look. And I don't know what the back of my hair looks like. And I'm just trying to stay positive by that way, way by talking myself up an absolute storm barrel. Mate, if you don't, no one else will, Jim. But I like, I like it. And talking about James Parks, I played with him back in the day at Saracens. He is a real energy giver. You know, you have those people that are energy takers like yourself, Jim. You just sap the life out of people uh, in a changing room. Uh, Parks, he was a... And he, you can see him down at Exeter doing it really well as well. He's part of the S&C team. Um, and you say you're chomping your way through life. I'm chomping my way through life as well, Jim, to be honest. No, no, you're chomping your way through chomps. Oh, that, that's it, yeah. Um, but I'd, I've got an interesting question for you because you learn something new. Spending this amount of time with the missus and, you know, on lockdown, you, you learn things, don't you, that you didn't really know about your partner and, and life, really. So I've got a question for you, uh, and it's a pretty simple one. Do you moisturise your feet? No. Well, I, I'll, answer, I, I'll answer Jim's for you because I asked my missus this, and she said, there's no chance Jim moisturises his feet. He doesn't even brush his teeth. So... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's got nothing to do with that. If I could touch my knees... I would slowly try and reach further down to touch my toes because my feet are absolutely hanging. Could you imagine them? Can you imagine <laughs> the state of them? Why would you moisturise your feet? Imagine how well, slippy they are in your shoes. I'll set the scene, right? So uh, we had a delivery last week, didn't we, Jim, off Mac and Wild, a bit of meat, a bit of beef, uh, a few awesome steaks. And I thought, you know, I'm going to cook them. I'm going to do a bit of a, uh, a meal for one because I'm the only meat eater in the house, really. So my missus is a vegetarian. And of course, I do what most blokes do, um, frying pan's probably too hot whatever the smoke alarm goes off the smoke everywhere um, but it still tasted great so my missus when i cook steak in our house there's a kind of rule i'll let her get her vegetables first like she just eats like raw vegetables i should probably look at what she's eating and do the same but i don't because it's just like raw vegetables and it no interest in that so she gets the vegetables takes it next door starts eating them uh while i'm cooking the steak so she's out the kitchen she doesn't need to smell it she's a strong vegetarian like never touched meat in her life except mine Bum bum. Um, <laughs> sausage get anyway, it get it oi yeah. oi savaloy get it because anyway, uh, yeah. anyway so I, I, I start cooking my steak set the smoke alarm off she's then gone mad at me and I've, I've eventually come in, gone into the lounge with my steak, and she sat there. She's finished the vegetables. She's doing her nails. And she just looks at me and she says, 
If you ever cook steak again in the kitchen and set the smoke alarm off, you'll be getting this, and she shows me this contraption, on your nether regions. And it's, it was, it was that noise. She flicked it on, it went zzzz. And it's an electric foot skin remover. So you know, like you get dead skin around your feet. And it was this thing that went zzzz, and I touched it, and it was basically like sharpened concrete going round and round to just get all the dead skin cells off your feet. And I said to her, I said, what the fucking are you using that for? She said, well, you know, we look, I look after my feet. You know, I, I take the dead skin cells off, then I moisturize them. I said, what do you mean? You moisturize your feet. She goes, yeah, you should try it sometime. So I took a thing, took it upstairs, did the old feet, gave my massage, put some moisturizer on, and I slipped over down the stairs on the way, on the way back down as well. But <laughs> it, just, it just amazed me. I didn't ever think it was possible, or I didn't, I didn't understand people moisturizing their feet. So I'm putting it out to the millions. Do men actually moisturise their feet or not? Because we don't. Are we weird that we don't? Or because she thinks we're weird that we don't moisturise our feet? Do you not think there's other things that you could be looking after apart from your feet? <laughs> yeah, there, there's plenty of things, James. Stuff yeah, that you is. can see. So, so, so parts of your body that you can see. Be honest now. Be completely honest with me. Right, right here, right now, looking into my eyes. When was the last time you looked down and saw your big toes? Just get some hobnobs out of the drawer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when was the last time you saw your big toe when you looked down mate I can see it all the time mate my belly's not that big yet what about your next toe your second big toe see I can see all my feet mate I can see Lies. my feet I Lies. can see my piece I can see the lot I can see my knees send the pic no you, you can't see your knees I, mate you've got you've got buckle knees you can't see your knees yours are folding back yeah my knee is no my knee's doing all right it's my ankle that's sore at the minute i'm just walking walking the golf course i've got a new uh, uh a new golf trolley as well so i'm out there i'm exercising gym i did eighteen thousand steps yesterday around the golf course i'm working hard. i'm fitter than i've ever been but my bike i'm disappointed because my bike hasn't been delivered yet i'm still every day i check my emails you know when is the bike being delivered it's it's coming i did a bit of a fashion show for the missus last night Bought some Lycra, didn't I? And she was like, please let me take a picture of that and send it to Jim. And I grabbed the phone off her and lobbed it out the window. So um, there's... Mate, not many men look good in Lycra, I'll be honest. I can't imagine any do, to be honest. Well, yeah, I beg to differ, anyone, but um, not many. Not many of us do, mate, I'll be honest. You, you, I tell you now, boys, when I hit the roads, I'll be, I'll be holding up the traffic. That's all you need to know. And there's a lot of traffic out there at the minute. <laughs> the roads are a lot busier. But hey, we're not getting political. Yeah, I might ride up to Barnard Castle to get my eyes tested anyway to see. Hey, mate, you can, mate. Jim, you've been getting out on your bike quite a bit as well, off the Watt bike and actually out. Where have you been going? Have you been getting far away from home? Just away from the kids. Mate, I'm just out as long as I can go. So, But because the sun's been out, I slightly sunburnt, I'll be honest. The, even though the sun's is kicking in, there's still a part of me when I stop and take the helmet off. <laughs> I can feel it. So I said, it's a travesty. If you come out of lockdown, right, and to the millions of listeners out there, and you haven't done something, not necessarily to change, you could change something in your life, but something positive, then what's it all been about? So that's all I'm thinking about. I'm thinking if I can come out of it fitter, tick, stronger, tick, better lid, tick, better bloke, tick, hell of a bush, like literally like you've never seen, tick, 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 tick. Uh, and just a dad just as well. All right, yeah, oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, a better dad as well. Probably best not to go after the last one, the one that we just mentioned, but a better dad. Um, mate, what's it all been about? But I bet there's loads of people that have started something and just flagged it halfway through as well. And my missus brought a piano, smashed it for about two weeks, and now it's just sitting there in the, in the living room doing nothing. Yeah, my mate, Kovskin, right? Who you would never, never know about Kovskin. Um, some unbelievable stories about that bloke. 
But one true story is, is that he was a grade eight or he is a grade eight on the piano. Unbelievable, right? So unbelievable. Like, so he'd never speak about it because he didn't think it was cool or whatever. But he, he was in the Marine. Well, he weren't in the Marines. He did seven weeks in the Marines training. But if you ask him, he did three tours to Afghanistan. So what about, <laughs> swear to God, swear to God, right? I've actually got another funny story about Kovskin. So, you know, you get people who like to tell stories. Like a lot of us are quite legit and just tell the truth and speak honest and don't speak in riddles. Not Kovskin, mate. So... We'll come back to the piano thing. So he he was in the Marines for seven weeks, but he'd, he'd, he'd been to Afghanistan twice. That's what he said. He was a sniper in the Marines, uh, but he got medically discharged after seven weeks. He said, oh, Jim, I've got a new job. I was like, all right. Uh, what are you doing? He said, well, it's because of my military background and stuff like that, I'm working undercover with the police in Cov. I'm like, mate, what, what are you doing? He's like, well, I'm at the football. He said, I'm looking out to see the football hooligans and seeing um, who's causing troubles in the crowd and trying to get to the top. It was like, it's like someone out of Gangs of London or something or Peaky Blinders. I was like, yeah, I said, what are you doing? He said, when, they, when one of the teams scores a goal, that's when it all kicks off. I'm like, all right, he said, I'm in the crowd looking out for the, the kind of top, top hooligans. I was like, mate, this sounds unbelievable. Like, what a job. So Coventry won the game I think they played Nottingham Forest 1-0 my mum said to me oh Jim I've just seen Kovskin on the back of the paper I'm like have you next thing Coventry Evening Telegraph comes out Kovskin stood there with his arms folded uh, all the fans are celebrating in the background and he's got um, an aluminous jacket saying steward on the back of it stood there <laughs> no word of a lie I ring him and say Kovskin I've just seen you on the back of the paper he's like yeah mate I know I've got to go I've got to go but anyway grade eight on the piano unbelievable I think you know Mark, I, I could probably play the piano as well. I've got a few Kovskin stories. Maybe that's a, hey, that's one for Patreon, I reckon. Well, should we have a look at some of the news that's going on at the moment? Oh, God, let's. <laughs> All right, World Rugby have proposed a number of measures to help reduce the risk of infection when sport does return, including no spitting, no huddles, no reset scrums, washing hands right before the start, changing your kit at halftime and changing the balls regularly. Do you think that's enough and, and do you think that'll help? Mate, don't get me started on it. I mean, has someone has someone actually physically come out with this from World Rugby as ideas of how the game can be played again? Mate, come on. I was hearing other stuff around no scrums, no lineouts, but you can rock. Mate, get back out there when we can play. That's it. It's as simple as that. We can't... And, and it's, the stuff has got, got to be in place. I get that. Like hand sanitizers, you know, the change rooms have got to be clean. No shaking hands and stuff like that if you don't want to do that before. But, mate, rugby is a contact sport where you are in direct contact, sweat, blood, spit. Like, so... I. I don't know. I th- I read I read that and it was like I don't know. I don't know what to say. I don't. This isn't me being detrimental or me being negative around it. I don't think we can do this thing where it's kind of like you're doing stuff that just can't happen. You know, like you're almost asking guys not to sweat on each other, but effectively, so bodily fluids on each other. I get that they're not spitting. You know, I don't. I'm not a big believer in spitting on the floor anyway. But I spat many a time. Yeah, tell Dave Ward that as well. He can't play anymore, can he now? <laughs> <laughs> but you know this is the thing I get, they're trying to get things moving aren't they but ultimately what they need and we spoke about it last week uh, looking at the American sports and, and looking uh, what they're doing elsewhere in the world you either get to a level where you're in Ireland and the levels are that low you can do an inter kind of country tournament mini tournament like they've done in New Zealand where the safety uh, is almost effectively there because of the situation they find themselves in or you do what America have done and you do mass testing 
So, unfortunately, this isn't going to go away, right? Now, I know the Premier League football, they've been doing tests on the players and there weren't many that tested positive, but there were still some. So, for whatever reason, the UK being one, but also rugby, we're so far behind in terms of what we want to do. Or you do what France did and just finish it. Just finish the league and say, right, let's get to September, a clean slate. And I get this finances, I understand all that, but... We can't keep going every week that these things are dripping in. Like, Geech comes out, right, we'll play tag or, or whatever we're going to do. Uh, will Rugby come out and be like, right, well, you know, uh, we're going to be scrums, but there's no resets or whatever because this because uh, the contact time that you find yourselves in in the game and they're trying to work out how long a second row will be in direct contact with another human being if they're in X amount of scrums. I'm just like, come on. 13 and a half minutes, Jim. 13, I saw that. Yeah, my, my point on it is I, I'd, I'd be fine to play now because I social distanced throughout my whole career. There's zero contact going on, zero line breaks. Just the only contact that came into, into with me was me kicking the ball. So I came into contact with kicking the ball and I walloped it a long way or put beautiful little chip kicks in for people like Tom Vondale to score tries in black boots. But hey, I'm, I'm with Jim. Like you cannot change the game to the extent that people are talking about just to get it going again. I'd rather wait till it could be back to just being a normal game of rugby. And I think someone else came out with something last week. I can't remember who it was. It might have been Gavin Hastings that said the way forward to start off again is sevens. That's, that might be a decent idea to get the sevens world circuit going um, because it's there's less people on the field, therefore there's less risk. But then actually you're bringing more people into a, a match day because you've got hundreds of set well, you've got 10, 15, sevens teams in each tournament. So there's no right or wrong answer. And, and then, then you start looking into things. And if we are going to start rugby again in August, for example, where the games are going to start, then you think, you look at Saracens, for example, and I, I'm not banging on about it again, but if you're going to start rugby in the Premiership in August, then you'd say that a lot of the Championship clubs would want to start again in September, October. You could have Saracens trying to finish the season in the Premiership, also trying to play in the Championship because that's where they're supposed to have been relegated to. So um, it is becoming more and more like we need decisions to be made. And I have said on this podcast before, we need to go week by week and see how things develop. But at some point, there's got to be an end game where you go, but by the end of the July, if we haven't got things ready to go again, we just park it till September. But testing is really important across the nation, not just looking at rugby. I think testing across the nation and, and, and getting that looked at is the way forward. Well, Geordie Murphy's come out and said eight weeks training's needed before the premiership returns. When Pat Lamb told us four weeks, how do the clubs go about agreeing? Because they don't seem to be on the same page right now, do they? Well, again, that's what they'll have to do, won't they? And this is where Prem Rugby, um, I'm not too sure if World Rugby will have a say on that, but it'll be more probably the governing body of, of Prem Rugby. Um, the RPA, they might have a say on it, but they might meet halfway. Uh, I think the general consensus and what seems to be coming from New Zealand, because they're obviously back up and running is four weeks, I think. Players now can get themselves to a conditioned level, I think. Uh, you're allowed outside for exercise now as many times as you can. We spoke to Pat Lamb last week about the kind of nick that Bowden Barrett come back in. I saw a pitch, uh, picture on Instagram of Owen Farrell, even though he hates Instagram. But my God, he's done some work on his back. He looked fitter than I've ever seen in a static picture that I've never seen of him. So I don't know where I'm judging that from. The lighting was great. I don't know what I'd be like if I was a professional rugby player in all this. The big thing around rugby, as we know, is contact. So how long does it take a player to get get conditioned? And me and Goody have been in many pre-seasons and it takes three or four games to get, even once you've done contact for a month, to, to get up to the kind of level that you probably need to get up to to be 100%. So eight weeks, I get where Jordan Murphy's saying that. But I think as soon as it gets the green light, 
if it gets the green light, I don't think it will, but if it gets the green light, I think it'll be four or five weeks and uh, here we go. And just finally in news, the Six Nations is possibly going to move to fit in with the new global calendar. But there's been some talk this week of the format changing and perhaps there being five home games and five away each next year. What do you guys make of that? Well, firstly, um, I'll talk about the globalisation. Um, I love that word, globalisation. Brings us all back to the globe. Uh, inner, sanctum, inner scrotum, whatever they want to call it. Anyway, Jono, did you hear Martin Johnson? It, I, well, I read something in a, in a newspaper somewhere or I might have dreamt it, I don't know. He ain't happy. He wants it winter, mate. He wants he wants blood and guts, mate. He wants rain. He wants uppercuts. He wants shoeing. He wants black boots. He does not want summer sport, mate. He's got something else on. He likes the bike. He's probably out cycling or... He listens to our podcast on the bike. Oh, mate, I bet he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah he, he does. does. Do you think we've got more weight in the game? Uh, well, we have with you, but do you think we've got more <laughs> substance um, with our views or Jono's views? I'd go with Jono. Mate, whatever Jono says. Yeah, whatever Jono says. But in reality, um, we've had Bill Beaumont on here, who is the chairman of World Rugby, and there's been open dialogue between the Sanzar tournament uh, and the Six Nations, and it seems that ground is going to be conceded by both sides. So it's nice that finally, all of a sudden, people are talking and, and taking it seriously, and there does seem to be a bit of movement. And the Six Nations, how big is it to move it from February and March to March and April? It's not a massive shift, is it? So I don't think it will make a huge difference. As long as it doesn't coincide with the Hong Kong Sevens, I ain't bothered. Oh, yeah. And the five home, five away part of it? Yeah, I mean... It- on the face of it, when you look at it, you just think that's ridiculous because, uh, you know, how many games of international rugby are players going to play and are we just going to go away from the club game again? So you've got to get the balance right. Is it because this year's Guinness Six Nations didn't get completed? Is it because actually there might not be summer tours for the next couple of years, maybe because of this pandemic? These are all things that are just being tossed around um, and you know, how much gravity have they actually got behind them? I don't know. I prefer that than the summer tours. I don't think the summer tours are that good. I don't know why. Apart from Argentina in 2010, that was great. But um, <laughs> apart from that, man, I don't like some at all. I don't know why. I just think that I think you need a, a downtime from from the season potentially. Well, one man who will be involved in the Six Nations whenever this year's gets finished off and whatever happens with it next year is France defence coach Sean Edwards, and he joins us now. How are you, mate? Not bad, thank you. Just um, returned to France. And uh, the sun is blazing down. It's pretty hot today. Sean, it's an interesting one because I hear that you are still in France. Uh, bonjour and all that uh, palaver. So why have you decided to stay in France and not head back? I came on for uh, for about four weeks to help my mother, you know, to pay people who were helping my, my mother and father. It was very, very high risk, obviously, with the virus. I had to self-isolate for two weeks when I first arrived back in, um, in Chiswick and then... Um, obviously, come back to uh, France now. Uh, bonjour, Sean. Je m'appelle Andy. Ça va? Ça va. Très bien. So, how, how's things, mate? Obviously, you're over in France. Whereabouts are you? Based in Paris, or are you uh, down the south? Anywhere nice? I'm, I'm just like to the moment, uh, but I decided to come to. Uh, I wanted to watch a bit of rugby league and the Catalan Dragons down here, and uh, uh, I've got a good friend, uh, few friends in the Catalan Dragons set up. Richard Hunswick, who's the head of SNC, so I've been conditioning with him. He's a good friend of mine and he's a good lady. And 
I know Steve McNamara quite well. Um, so I thought I'd just come down here so I could watch some league and some union. And unfortunately, I've not been able to watch anything because obviously, uh, you know, what's going on. It's, um, it'd be quite interesting to get your take on it, Sean. So clearly a, a guy that's motivated uh, in his job. We've seen that in recent years and also everything that you've won in the game. So how does someone like you sit back and try and relax and try and enjoy these times knowing that you should, you know, you should have been able to finish off a Six Nations tournament and then planning into the summer? Are, are you able to take a bit of downtime or are you, are you trying to evolve? Yeah, for, for me, I had a very strenuous year last year. We, I was away from home with two little girls, two and five, and I was away for 240 days last year with the Six Nations, with the World Cup, with the training camps and everything. So I'm actually to try to do my number one job, which is to be a decent dad, has been uh, my challenge over this period, yeah. And are they settled well over in, down in the south of France as well? Are they enjoying the, the lifestyle? Yeah, um, the, uh, we're just actually going to go to the beach after we finished this which is the first time we've been there because the weather was was, um, was a little inclement and you weren't allowed on the beach anyway uh, in, in the past month that, but actually um, they came they came in March uh, so this is the first time we've gone to the beach at the night time so we're really looking forward to it well, mate, you make sure you get down there soon and enjoy that. I just wanted to ask you, um, like we know that France have been a sleeping giant for years and they probably needed someone like you to go in there and, and change that mould. How was it for you initially walking into that kind of French squad? It is very French without stating the obvious with the coaching setup they've got. But for someone with from your background and done everything in the game in, in, in the UK, how was it for you walking into that French setup? Well, you know, it's always, uh, you always have a little bit of a nerves what going into making the first speech or whatever whether it's at club level or, or to, to any group of players. But if you've won four English premierships, two Anakin Cups and four Six Nations, it obviously gives you a bit more clout, doesn't it? So you can walk in into those situations with a little bit more confidence. And you certainly deserve to with your coaching record. But a question, question for me, obviously, your first game coming up against England. And, you know, I think I've said in the press that England should have come after you as well when things weren't going to work out with Ireland, uh, with Wales, sorry. For me, how much did it mean to you to, to, to get that first game against England, the big victory, the dominant performance that you showed, the physicality, the difference that clearly you had on that team? It must have been huge for you as well. Well, obviously, you're happy to... To, to, to beat your first opponent in your first game. Uh, the, the, you only have one chance, you say, to make a first impression, isn't it? And, uh, you know, we, we, we played pretty well that day. Um, we defended for quite long periods of time against, uh, you know, a team who's probably the second-best team in the world, ranked the second-best team in the world. So, you know, we, we had to take confidence out of that. I do think we were pretty tired the week later against Italy. You know, in the second half in particular, you know, we, we just lost that intensity. But... It's something that we need to work on because, you know, we have to be consistently good. Uh, you know, to, to win trophies, to win Six Nations, it's not going good for one or two games. You have to be good for, for five games and, and to get a grand slam. And with that, um, we also understand, you know, having played in France myself and Jim's played out there and played against the French many times, they're unbelievable or sometimes they're pretty abject. So uh, how have you found the culture? I know you're a coach that, that demands energy and, and effort from players as a given. How have you found the cultural differences between, you know, working the Welsh boys really hard and the Lions boys over time and getting great results and having a short impact on the French team where people could say the easy flippant thing to say is if they don't want to turn up, they won't bother? Well, I, I haven't seen that side of the, the French players yet. Um, obviously, I'm coaching the national team and you'd like to think everyone's highly motivated and, and, and they definitely are. All I've had really is I've been impressed with the you know, with the organisation of the training sessions. Um, they're very much into GPS, very, very much into GPS and getting the right numbers of, um, in the preparation for the games. And as I said, you know, 
I've been impressed and, uh, you know, a great a great aid to me. I always select a defensive captain and, you know, a lot of people said a few negative things about Gail Fick out to me. And um, I always think that if you look hard enough at some person, a person or a player, you'll find a fault. But if you look at his positives and what he brings to the, what he brings to the table, I, I think I did that with, with Gail and it was definitely a good choice because he's given me great support and um, the boys definitely look up to him and respect him. Absolutely, mate. And we saw that in the performances. I just want to ask about the quality of players. You've worked with some of the best players in the world. Uh, Good, you mentioned the Wales and the Lions, but you know, going back to all the other teams that you've coached, where did this French team in terms of athlete, but also in terms of bit a rugby player? Because we know that they've got star quality when they want to turn it on, but where does this rank in terms of quality, in terms of their athleticism? Well, um, you know, there's, there's some usually big lads, obviously. We've got some big bench players. How can I say? Um, I feel that we can improve. There's a bit of improvement in us. And we have to have that consistency of effort. Having that ability to systematically break down our opponents. You know, the French were, and, and, you know, off-the-cuff rugby is often spoke about. And we want to have that in our game. We also want to have that systematically ability to be able to break down your opponents and, and squeeze your opponents at certain times. And I'd like to think you know, throughout the Six Nations, we we did improve again with that. Our big problem is keeping 15 players on the pitch. You know, we lost <laughs> the quarterfinal of the World Cup against Wales. We had people sinbinned um, in, in, in virtually every game, except for the England game, I think. Um, you know, sometimes sinbinnings come from just pressure from the opposition. And, you know, that, that that's almost acceptable at times. But it's a lot easier playing with 15 players on the pitch. And... Defending at the moment is incredibly hard at international rugby level. There's a lot of trust tries being scored. There's never been as many points being scored in rugby union as there is at the moment in Super Rugby, in the English Premiership, etc. So keeping those 15 players on the pitch to defend is absolutely vital in, uh, if you want to be a successful team. And how have you found the uh, ultimately the language barrier between uh, yourself? I know you, but you've made a massive effort to to learn French, and I think that's one of the big things going over there. You fit in with their culture a bit, but how you know? I know you're a passionate coach, and you you know you like to say fucking smash him and stuff like that. Have you have you learned about that in French as well? Can you give us a yeah, bit brasse of brasse uh, brasse 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 that means passion. Fucking Brasile, I love it. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's. Sh- I know the answer straight away, mate. So <laughs> what I've tried to do is, you know, when I coach, I don't really speak a lot even in English. If anyone knows I've been who've been coached by me, my, my meetings are like two or three minutes, five minutes at max. That's in reviewing process and uh, you know, looking at the opposition, etc. I try to keep it, you know, under four or five minutes. Because I remember being in a lot a lot of meetings when I was a player and some coaches would talk and talk and talk and talk. And I always spot people dropping off to sleep at the back and I always thought, when I'm a coach I don't want anyone going to sleep in any of my meetings. <laughs> so that was my, that was my um, so far. I, don't, I think I've managed that so far. And what are the big things that you look for, Sean? And maybe give us the ter- how you kind of portray that over to the players. So we know that work rate, being tough, these things are quite kind of well documented. You see any team that you have coached, but what are the fundamentals that you look for in a player, but then in the small units and collectively a team? What do you judge a player on? Wow, that's a big question. Uh, we could be talking about for about an hour and a half, mate. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, is it, uh, international rugby level, the, the players should have some ability, shouldn't they? You know, they've, they've been selected for the country, so in the squad, they should have some athletic ability. So, I, I someone always said to me, never be beaten by a fitter man, because it's totally under your control. 
that's what I, I, I've always wanted to coach fit, athletic lads who can last a distance. And whilst we've got a little bit more to go with the French team, but I think we're definitely on our way now. And I think they proved that with some of the performances, even with 14 men at a lot of the time, I think they also showed a little bit of grit as well. And that's very important, I believe. Sean, I had all of them in an abundance, mate, and leadership as well, and I wasn't pit for any of the Lions tours, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Leadership's the... Uh... <laughs> Neither did I, and I got picked for one, but I got sacked after that. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's ask you about that then, actually, because uh, ultimately there's the, the Lions tour next year to South Africa. Uh, uh, do, you, do you give Gats a bit of a nudge over the, the years that you've not been picked? Has he said much about it? Is it? I think, um, you know, I'm in French rugby now, and that put, puts me on the picture. So, you know, it, I, I would love to try to, to pay back that... Um, which is the most disappointing <clears throat> um, series loss of, of, of my coaching career. And the second test is most, uh, you know, the worst loss of, of, of my coaching career was the second test because, you know, of what went on with the gouging, etc. It was just diabolical, wasn't it? And, um, you know, at one stage, we had a player on the pitch who should have been taken off. Uh, unfortunately, we, you know, we let a try in because of that. And he was then immediately taken off afterwards. You know, no fault to him whatsoever, but he was knocked out and should have been taken off before. Uh, so a lot of things were... Like, like, I, funny enough, I was talking about that to my missus today and I said, yeah, that that series will sort of haunt me until my dying day, really. Even though we were playing against the best team in the world and probably the best South African team of all time, I think they beat the All Blacks three times that year. I remember Richie McCall in his book said, we asked him what was the best team he ever played against, and he said the, the 2009 uh, Springboks. You know, they were the dominant team in world rugby. We got, we went over the having not been very successful in the previous Lions tour, etc., expecting to be get whipped. And the way those lads came together as, as a unit and uh, as a team was absolutely fantastic. And uh, you know, we was in the hearse breath of beating the world champions on the own backyard, you know, with very very limited preparation time. Let's talk about your coaching career then as well, because ultimately you spent a lot of time with Gats, um, you know, as a, as a partnership, as, you know, starting out at Wasps in a very successful era, you know, that really put that on the map and then obviously moving to Wales. How different is it you for you now coaching with, um, you know, different coaches? You've got uh, Gautier as the head coach who really didn't like Jim Hamilton when he was at Montpellier. But um, what's it like for you making that change as well? Yeah, I mean, it's good, but all the guys that I've met have, you know, I, I really enjoyed the company of all the guys and people like William Servat is a fantastic lad. You know, he couldn't have helped me more when I first moved over. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you, like the Wales um, set up, you know, if you, together for 12 years, you're going to, have, going to have an argument. There's going to be a bit of friction between you at times. And so at times, I don't think it's a bad thing between the coaching staff. We, you know, we certainly haven't got to anything like that with, with the French team as we've had any friction between us yet. But as I said, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in, in the fact that competitive people there's going to be some friction between you at times isn't there you know what I mean because you're not going to agree on everything and the important thing is 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 when you don't agree is don't let the players uh, spot it Sean, just looking at the uh, the way that the uh, the land lies in coaching at the minute, there's a big change over in Premiership being obviously the obvious one. A big change at Wasp. Uh, Johan Ackerman's left left his post at Gloucester. I know you're now well in uh, in coaching in France, obviously at the helm. Have you got any ambitions to take over a head coach role one day? Get back into rugby league? I don't want to jump the gun here because I know you've got a big job in France. But yeah, I mean, I still keep in touch with the with the owner at Wasp. 
Um, he's an absolute gentleman, and, and one day I'd love to give him a, a trophy. You know, Gloucester's a place I've always fancied maybe going. Um, I was talking to Danny the other day, because me and Danny's pretty close, and uh, and he was saying would I be interested. I said, I've, I've got to replay the faith that France put in me first, Danny, before you know I would come back to you know to to, to a club position like that. But yeah, I'm, I'm always interested. At, you know, I do want to coach for a number a, a number of years yet. I'd like to hope that you know my best years as a coach, and uh, I continue to better myself as a coach. And hopefully my best years ahead of me. Yeah, mate, I can see the dream team one day at Wasp. Sean Edwards, director of rugby, head coach, Andy Good, nutritionalist. And we'll, we'll, we'll win the lot, mate. We'll win the whole <laughs> shebang. Yeah, you'd be a bit more than that, mate. Trust me. <laughs> uh, Sean, just before you go, you're a patron of the Lucids as well, aren't you? And it's Mental Health uh, Awareness Week as well. Just talk a little bit about how important that is to you and uh, something that you're passionate about and the work that's been done in the past. Yeah, I, I got asked uh, you know, to, to, to head it and... But what happened to my father, really, as a professional rugby player, he he got a bad injury when he was 24 and uh, has not been able to work really since and obviously had to stop playing rugby, rugby league straight away uh, at 24. And my, my father suffered from depression. It's like taking your manhood away from you a little bit, isn't it? That, you know, you're playing this ferocious game and you're going out testing yourself against against tough men every other week, every week. And then all of a sudden it's taken away from you. And that must take a lot of, you know, a lot, a lot of getting used to. So when they asked me to to head it, uh, the, the organisation, uh, I had to think about what, what my father had to go through. You know, didn't really have that any help, really. And it's just a matter of get on with it. I, I thought it was a good thing to, to get involved with. So that's what I did it really, you know. Um, because of my dad. That's class, cheers, Sean. Great to hear. And I know, um, you know, it's very important to a lot of people around, not only rugby, but everything that people are going through at the minute. So uh, thanks for that, Sean. All right, Paul. All right, Sean, thank you very much for joining us and uh, best of luck moving forward uh, with the French team in the future. Thank you very much. All right, cheers, Sean. Smash him. Cheers, Sean. Absolutely thanks, fucking mate. smash him. Brasile. Brasile. <laughs> what is it? Brasile. Brasile. What does that fucking mean? What does Brasile mean? Uh, mate, good bloke. Mate, he, he, I, he scares me. He's one of them guys that scares me. Um, you can tell. I get all nervous. What do you mean? I can tell. You yeah, can tell you, you two were a little bit standoffish at the start. I'll tell. I'll tell you a story about Sean Edwards. Right, he's a great bloke, and he does have that aura around him that makes people shit themselves in the in the nicest possible way. <laughs> so I used to coach his son at Wasps for the A team. Um, he's, he's, he was a little scrum half. He was a tidy little player. And we I used to coach him on a Monday night in the A-League and Sean used to rock up uh, to watch his son play, but he'd rock up like an hour and a half, two hours early for the game. And he'd be, I'd, be, I'd be looking at him going, is he analysing my coaching right now? He's sat in the stands, like reading the book, but watching us do the warm-up. And I'm just trying to G up his son. I'm trying, mate, you can play the whole, you can be captain if you want, son. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> like you, you make a move, you, it's all yours. Um, but he has that all around him, doesn't he? He's, he? Listen, he's a fierce competitor. You, you listen to him speak. Um, yeah, he demands respect off people, not because of necessarily purely about what he's done the game, because he's done a hell of a lot in both codes, but just his personality and the way he is. What a bloke. Absolute legend. It'll be interesting to see where he goes in terms of France. And it's a real shame whether or not it takes off again. All the momentum has been taken out of the Six Nations, hasn't it, in terms of where France were going to go. We know Scotland beat them uh, just before uh, lockdown kicked in. But the big thing for me around Sean Edwards is how long and how receptive will them French players be with someone like Sean in that coaching setup? 
everyone else outside of that French setup knows that there is no better man to take French rugby forward than Sean Edwards. There's no one. I can't think of anyone that could go in there and have that desired effect that they needed. And we saw that in the games that they played. Their work rate off the ball, their physicality around their defence, when there was a line break, when they were defending close to their line, everything we saw in Wales when they were winning Grand Slams, everything we seen in the Lions, everything we saw at Wasps. But I actually really like the fact that he did say that he's interested in getting back over to the Prem because how much better is it having him in in the premiership i i wish i i wish i could have played for him he, he needed me he needed me i don't mate, I'd look at look, mate, look at his record did. look at look at his record mate he didn't need you at all <laughs> he's got a phenomenal record but you talk about it and listen with, with sean he's i think he's got a four-year deal i might be jumping the gun by saying that but he, i think he's got a four-year deal how rich to go <laughs> yeah it'd be one of the richest northerners yeah, Boca de Euros. But, um, you know, you think four years' time or three and a half years' time now, whatever it is, the World Cup is in France, him part of that coaching setup, the actual trajectory that the French team could go on, he'll have a massive impact. And it's a bit premature to talk about him coming back to the shores of the UK, whether it be back in Wales or England and Premiership at Wasps or Danny Sips is obviously trying to get him to go to Gloucester for some reason. Mate, already. what about that? Mate, what about <laughs> Sips ringing him? Mate, Sips running the show or what? But in reality, listen, he's going to have a huge impact, is Sean, on the, on the French. He already has. Um, how good would they be in four years' time with a lot of detail around what Sean does, further embedded into them and, you know, simple things like work rate and fitness, uh, things that Jim and I didn't have. Uh, those French boys will be, that will be pouring from their ears at times. Well, it was Mental Health Awareness Week last week and we caught up with former Sale in England under 20 centre Mark. Jennings for our Superfan subscription service at patreon.com to coincide with that and he has a unique story to tell and we thought we'd play a quick clip of that now just to give you a little taste of what's on offer there. You obviously had to go through some pretty dark times and I'm sure rehab in, in South Africa must have been pretty dark in itself but can you talk to us about it's not too painful to talk about the the incident that led to you kind of leaving sale because initially they said you had obviously taken a sabbatical obviously you weren't in a good place mentally but that manifested itself physically and and that that must have been a pretty hard time yeah so i'd, I'd, I'd taken a sabbatical from set like i'd had some dark times around picking up another injury and i really just couldn't see like i'd i'd thought to myself where am i going to be next week do i, do I want to be here and the answer was no and i, I just took a load of pills Ended up in rehab. I came back. I'd, I'd taken the sabbatical from sale before I went to rehab. And then I got back and I just carried on carried on drinking. And, you know, I wanted to know who my who my real dad was, which is something I'd never known. And my real mum had always kind of sheltered it from me. I'd never had enough conversations with my real mum because I'd never reached out to her. I'd never wanted to get to know her because I thought she'd given me away um, and that she didn't want anything to do with me. And I I never knew the actual reasons to why she'd given me away. So I had a conversation with her around it. She was really reluctant to give me the information regarding my dad. And, and she given me the information regarding my dad. You know, she said that she got raped and, and um, that was my dad. So, you know, as I said, like I, I physically felt my heart breaking too. And I, I just drank a lot that day and I was banging around. I had my, my, um, my partner at the time. Uh, my mate and my mate's partner there and you know she worked in mental health and she she could just see that there was kind of no emotion behind my eyes and I was just I don't know in a, on a different planet really so they tried to get me sectioned and they couldn't get me sectioned so the police came because um the next door na- neighbors actually ran the police then because I was throwing stuff at the walls so police came round and um you know I headbutted a police officer and I got put into a van and then woke up in, the, in a cell the next day 
So quite quite a lot happening in, in a few weeks, and obviously I was in I was in, in um, court, and I was really really lucky not to be given a prison sentence. I should have been given a prison sentence. I was really lucky to get away with that, and um, I had to do community service and I had to see a probation officer for, for twenty four months. So I did get some really um, stern penalties for what I did, but um, at the time there was just probably after I'd taken a sabbatical for six months, there was just kind of no emotion involved in me at all. It was just constantly fueling myself with drugs and alcohol and, and, and that was it. Just head to patreon.com forward slash the rugby pod to sign up if you like the sound of that. And Mark's doing a 100 kilometer run on a treadmill in 12 hours to raise funds for Restart this weekend. So check that out on his Instagram for more details. And while we're on the subject of mental health, we thought we'd get a professional on the line to give us a bit of insight into what we can all be doing at the moment to look after our mental health. So Dr. Libby Artingstall from Team Mental Health joins us. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, we're very good, Libby. Thanks very much for coming on. Uh, we had Sean Edwards on, who is brilliant. He's a, a patron for Loose Heads as well, which does a lot around mental health in rugby players in, in young men as well but just give us a little bit of an overview what team mental health does we're in unprecedented times keep using that um that word and people are dealing with this situation in very different ways i'm sure some people are talking about it some people won't be and some people will be trying to work out actually what mental health is are they struggling is it just the fact that we are in lockdown in these situations so a little bit of overview really around uh, team mental health would be great so Team Mental Health is headed up really by myself and um, Sheila McDade. And really the aim of Team Mental Health is to sort of empower and support people across our communities, look after and protect their mental health. And it's being about it's about being able to cope and thrive um, and navigate difficulties when they arise. But often we talk about mental health when we're talking about mental ill health. So our message is that as we have physical health, we all have mental health. And we all need to know what we can do to look after it. So as well as trying to help people identify when there are issues and when we need to access professional support, a key element and an area of us is really promoting good mental health and preventing mental ill health from establishing. Yeah, and obviously a lot of rugby players, well actually all sorts of sports people, um, whether it's at a professional or amateur level, are missing the benefits of being involved in that team environment at the minute, which can be so positive for mental health as well. Um, how do you replicate that or how do you give advice to replicate that around the, the current pandemic and the lockdown that we've been in and how we come out of that in the long term? It's really difficult and it's, you know you have to acknowledge that these times are extremely challenging and all the things that we um, you know, enjoyed in life that gave us that kind of structure, routine, all the protective factors that um, we're used to have all of a sudden been taken away from us. And I think that kind of team element and connectivity is is a very, very important um, point. We know that um, if we have the right support networks in place and we can talk to people, we feel like we've got shared values, we belong to the same thing, we have the same, share the same ideas, identities, um, you know, that's really, really good for us. And when that is changed or taken away, it can be tough, but it's about really just being as proactive as you can in trying to maintain those connections and establish new connections if needs be. It's trying to find different ways that work for you. Sometimes we do get a bit zoomed out. So maybe a, a voice a voice message or a text message, um, old school picking up the phone and having a chat you know, emails, different ways of connecting. But it's it's kind of, if you're someone who, who used to, you know, every lunch go and sit with the same person and have a cup of coffee and have a chat about something, try and 
keep those kind of connections and conversations going and where possible I'm finding myself personally talking so much about COVID and the situation the current um, you know where we find ourselves and whilst that's real because it's current affairs trying to talk about the things that you enjoy having a laugh having that banter that humor is so important and where you can sort of trying to keep that alive but there's there's other things as well that, that we can do to look after our mental health and again it's really that kind of trying to view our mental health as we do our physical health we're doing so much aren't we to sort of protect our physical health hand washing and um, social distancing face covering respiratory hygiene but if we can try and apply some of those things to our mental health as well it can have a really positive impact and lots of the stuff we do for our physical health is really good for our mental health as well so things like thinking about our diet trying to keep that as healthy and balanced as we can making sure we stay hydrated you know our body's made up of 60 percent water if, if our if we're dehydrated it has a huge impact on our mood our levels of um, fatigue mentally so trying to kind of optimize our physical health and uh, sleep is crucial for that you know we're all out of sync I think it's it's really difficult to establish a routine but getting as much sleep as we possibly can because not only does that protect our physical health and potentially our immune system it's really vital to protecting our mental health and well-being and trying to exercise as much as we can getting outside in green space because the, the evidence is that just being outside in green space reduces that stress hormone cortisol um, and if you can't get outside Simple things like looking at pictures of nature, um, it sounds bizarre, but they can have the same effect in terms of reducing stress and trying to find just time for yourself to check in with yourself. How am I actually feeling today? Is there anything I need to be proactive about? How can I, what can I do to sort of support myself if I'm having a bit of a tough day? So many little things that can make a difference. And I think, you know, whilst we are in unprecedented times, as you said, being kind not only to others because kindness to others is great it creates positive feeling um sense of self-worth value but being kind to ourselves it's really easy to be like oh comparing yourself to others and they seem to be coping all right why am i not you know what's the matter with me what i should be doing better actually it's giving yourself a bit of a break and saying do you know what there's lots of things that we're all having to juggle so many different things we're having to do new ways of working new ways of parenting everything is different and it's okay to, to kind of take time to adjust to that and not be feeling amazing because it's really it's really hard the kindness and to ourselves and trying to find positives where we can and appreciating um the present and the now and and, and the good things we can find around us no absolutely there's loads there libby i really appreciate that and we, you know me and goody get a lot of messages coming um via social media uh, emails and stuff from um mainly lads but there's been women who've been in contact before around their mental health so it's brilliant to have you on so if there if there was a couple of things for the millions of listeners out there you've given given us a load there but in terms of maybe two really important things just um that um that the listeners can maybe do if they are struggling with their mental health that are kind of not proven because I know everyone's different but um, maybe just two kind of simple things that might be able to help their mental well-being while we're in lockdown. I think whilst we're feeling um, potentially feeling sort of stressed and our bodies responding to the challenges that we're in simple relaxation techniques can make a massive difference and all as though it sounds it potentially sounds ridiculous like why on earth would that work but deep breathing exercises Deep breath in, counting to 10, 
the way it works in terms of our brain and what happens within our brain, it almost reverses that stress response. So all that physiological changes we get can be dampened down. So just taking some time to breathe genuinely is really important. And, and I said it before, the key one for us is connecting. Stay connected as best you can. And if you can't, if you're not connected with people or you're struggling, there are lots and lots of organisations out there who are able to listen and talk to you if you need it. So make sure you reach out and let somebody know. All right, Libby, thank you very much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And um, hopefully someone out there gets this advice and, um, and puts it to good use. Thank you for having me. really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, thanks Libby. Libby. Cheers. Really kind. I think it's really interesting um, how different people deal with things, right? So I think, Goody, we do come from a place where when we're at Leicester, that kind of environment where things were a lot old school, not just Leicester, I'm sure other places were, where you just get on with things and you've got to toughen up. This lockdown thing, right, has made me realise that there's still rage inside of me, right? I thought the rage had gone. I thought the rage had gone. I'd left it up in Murrayfield. The poor supporters up there, the poor players that I played with, they saw the rage and the referees dealt with it accordingly by giving me numerous yellow cards and a couple of red cards along the way. But it's, I think now that this is the thing for me in lockdown, right? So some days I'll wake up and I am, here we go, I'm seizing the day. Uh, carps and DMs or whatever they're called and off we go <laughs> and off we go other days I wake up and I am so miserable I can't work out why I literally can't work out why um, and mate, there's no one to talk to mate, the kids don't get it do they can't keep just shouting at the kids so I think that people deal with it in different ways I'm a bloke who likes to talk about it I'll give Goody a call and be like our board um, don't watch the news because that brought out the rage I watched the news yesterday and literally I was fuming after my eyes rang out my head. It was last time I was facing the acker again, except we weren't going to get 50 put on us. And <laughs> exercise. So for me, exercise and sleep and also understanding that it's all right to have the rage. Like, it's, you know, it's, it's normal. So yeah, we should is. talk about it. No, it is. And I'm the same as you, Jim. Sometimes you get the range at home. Uh, the range or the rage? You're, you know, you're on. You're on about the range cooker that you stand by. Yeah, yeah. I don't uh, but you do, you do get the rage. But you know, I have looked at these deep breathing exercises, and, and normally my issue is when I'm walking back up the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just deep breathing. So you <laughs> you put into context like exercise, deep breathing. And I just need to walk up the stairs, and I'm fine. Mate, it's, it, it's, it's like it's no, it's, it's like a pair of lungs on top of a Swiss ball. Like it, they just can't, <laughs> they can't, they can't expand. But in, rea- in reality, like we we can joke about certain things, and it is a serious. You, you've got to be comfortable talking about it, and we are. And Jim and I speak regularly in the weeks go- that are going by, and we do. Yeah, you do get frustrated with things, so it's important that you can talk to people. You have got that outlet, and uh, ultimately, you know, it's it's about communicating and, and getting outside as much as you can. All right, it's uh, now time for your feature now, isn't it, Jim? And you've got a new sponsor on board for Jim will solve it, mate. We have. But they're not a new sponsor. They're friends of the show. It's Budgie Smuggler. They're back on board. Have you guys been smuggling in isolation, getting the budgies out in the backyard at all? What do you think? Of course I have. Look at the nick of me. <laughs> of course I have. Goody? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I've had Jim's face all around my ass on... Uh... Wow. 
Yeah, the old uh, the old commissioned ones that we had last time. Oh, it's lovely. Well, just head to budgiesmugglerukcom to check out their full range of men's, women's, and kids smugglers, including the new Northampton Saints smugglers. They also have face masks available in their spicy smuggler designs. If you enter the exclusive code PODPODPOD, you'll get free shipping too. So just head to budgiesmugglerukcom to check out what's on offer there. Yeah, big thank you to Budgie Smuggler, and it's that time again. Uh, Jim will solve it. Uh, riddle me this, riddle me that. Jim will solve it with Budgie Smuggler, the new sponsor. Hit me. Is it illegal for a man in California to marry his widow's sister, and why? Is it legal for a man in California to marry his widow's sister, and why? Well, you've just answered the question. So, firstly, that's weird. Secondly, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know about the legalities around that. Is it legal for a man in California to marry his widow's sister? So let's let's break it down. Break it down, chicken woo woo woo. Um, is it legal for a man in California to marry his widow's sister? Who's the widow's sister then? The widow's sister. But I, uh, how am I meant to know what the law is in California? Well, well has, Beck, has Beck got a sister? Yeah. So is it legal? You're the man. Yeah. Is it legal for you to marry your widow's sister? Well, I don't know if it's legal. It's, it's a bit weird, isn't it? What, so is it, what, so what, what would happen then? How's it weird? What would happen? <laughs> so marry his widow's sister. <laughs> Talk me through the day. <laughs> Talk me through how you see it going down. So it's going to go down like this. So I'm in California, right? I'm loving life. I'm loving life because I've got, I've got a plane to go there. Uh, I'm living there. I'm by the beach. I'm wearing my budgie smugglers. It ain't cold, so I'm looking great. I'm in the kind of shape that I'm in now, which is absolutely shredded. Yep. Uh, I'm married, which arguably isn't great, but in other people, they might see it as being great. Yep. Then this is the sad bit. So someone dies along okay. the way. So this is what, it, And they've got a sister, right? No. <laughs> yeah, they may have. They may have, right. Yeah. So they may have a sister. Is it legal? Right. Is it legal for a man in California so, yes, to marry his widow? Why don't you get all the players and give them names? So let's say Steve. We'll call Steve. Yeah. Is the married man. And who's he married to? Sheila. Sheila. Okay. So Steve. Oh, Steve's married to Sheila. Steve's married to Sheila, right? And then, and yeah. then Sheila becomes a widow, but she's got a sister. And what's the sister called? Stephanie. Stephanie. Yeah, like an S and S. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, she, so Sheila's just become a widow. Yeah. But she's got a sister. Yeah. Called Stephanie. And the question is, can Steve marry Stephanie, basically, right? So can Steve marry Stephanie? I don't know the law in California. <laughs> so can Steve marry Stephanie after Sheila became a widow? Right. So Steve's dead, right? We're, get, we're getting there. So Steve's dead. So can he marry? Well, no. Well, is oh, this before he's died oh, or not? Oh, oh, oh God! <laughs> you go on, say it. He's dead. He's de- and so therefore. So he's so he's he's died. Yes. So, n- so n- n- no. Surely he can't. So, so he can't marry because he's dead. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely nailed it, mate. That was. Um, it took a lot to break down. Break it down, and I appreciate your help. Uh, I really do. A big thank you to Budgie Smuggler because California 
uh, Steve, where's Budgie Smugglers? Sheila, get it. Riddle me this, riddle me that. I'm saying I've solved it, whether you like it or not. Okay, let's have a look at the rumour mill. You guys got any rumours floating around at the moment? There might be a South African exodus going out of Gloucester. Mate, I tell you what, hey, Goody, I reckon, slash no, you have opened a bag of slippers with last week's statements, mate. Uh, really? Go on, let, well, let's talk through it then, Jim. No, well, I, well you're right. I think that, that's the thing. I, I Genuinely, I had no idea. But I'm not naming names or talking about interactions, mate. It seems like the Gloucester weren't a happy camp, which is a real shame because the more and more I think about it, the sadder it is, I suppose. Um, you know, Franco Mostart came out on social media, I think, and my timing might be wrong. It might have just flashed up the way the algorithms work on that, that he was looking forward to the season start, starting back up. Now I'm hearing rumours. He's off to Japan as well. So that, that'll be the big thing at the club because Gloucester have filled their team with a lot of South African players, a lot of good South African players that will have been loyal to Johan. They would have signed for the club because of Johan Ackerman. And now that he's gone, and if Goody's source is correct and the momentum gathering around that is true, then these lads that love at Johan, they ain't going to be happy. So Fra- Franco Mostar, is, I think he's their marquee player, but either way... He's one of their best players. He'll be a huge loss for them. Massive. So what we talked about last week then, Jim, around what I'd said about Lance Bradley, the the CEO, and a coach kind of manufacturing his way and people going behind Johan's back, you're now hearing that that's possibly true as well, are you? Yes. Oh, there we go. Always nice to hear that when I hear something, Jim hears it as well. And we agree, James, don't we? Like I think naturally, stuff like that's going to gather momentum and it's not what we want to see. And you're not the person, Goody, that has been speaking. You're the person that is delivering the news. And as always, you seem to know. I don't know who your source is, Goody. It could be Worcester source. You get it? Cause they're, yeah. Bec- yeah. Because they're local rivals. Yeah. Is that- I'm more teriyaki source, though. But um, yeah, listen. Where's that? Uh, Where's know, teriyaki? Teriyaki. Oh, is it in Leicester? <laughs> yeah, something like that, yeah. Uh, but no, listen, you know, and people have actually come at me on social media and said that I was wallowing and enjoying what's happened at Gloucester. Absolutely not. You know, we said last week, didn't we, that we were both devastated that Johan Ackerman's gone. How he's gone by hook or by crook, that's why I looked into it, because it was a bit weird how you can get to the playoffs for the first time in 10 years and then 10 months down the track, Johan's gone because supposedly people have gone behind his back and you change the CEO and they make decisions. So, I, you know, I love going to Gloucester. I really do. I've got so much abuse there as a player, but I actually really enjoy going to the stadium now. You know, like Jim's done the feature for Rugby Pass, uh, but the shed is a very special place to be and, and play in front of. So, you know, I, I never want to see someone leave a club on sort of acrimonious terms but my job here is to report what I'm hearing around the game and um, you know I don't celebrate anything like that because Ackerman was a great bloke from every dealing that I had with him and I met him a fair few times Uh, always had a smile on his face and ultimately Gloucester had their most successful year last year and they seem to be building something nice so I'm devastated he's gone but by hook or by crook he has gone and and more steps will be made at that club to make the changes that are necessary and potentially other changes will come off the back of it. Are there any other rumours floating around at the moment, guys? Well, there's a few around Saracens, isn't there? Because it must be generally tough. And again, I've spoken about Saracens in depth for everything that's gone on over the last sort of 18 months there. But when you look at it, 
you know, what are they preparing for now? Because who knows when the season's going to restart again. They've got to get promoted if they do get relegated. There is a ring fencing chat around the table, but they're making noises around some signings because they know they're going to have to balance their squad around having superstars like Maratoji, Billy Vanapola, Owen Farrell, all these guys that won't be running out at Amped Hill, I very much doubt, or Doncaster or you know whatever other grounds that they'll be playing in the championship. But also... At the minute, we're sat there going, you know, do they make signings to get them through? They've let certain players leave the club on loan. What would happen to those players if it did get ring-fenced? Um, but there, there's noises around my old teammate Juan Pablo Sashino going to Saracens uh, to be a kind of filler for Owen Farrell because ultimately Owen Farrell will be driven by playing some big games for Saracens if there are any, playing England internationals and building up towards the Lions tour. And then I'm hearing about Matt Garvey as well to Saracens. So it's difficult, isn't it, to know what's going on in the world. There's a lot of players that are out of contract at the minute um, around the world uh, who are probably looking and, and nervously waiting to see how long this takes to get back to play and to see if any clubs have got any money to make some signings. The big one's Maro Toji, isn't it? He's not come out. Neither has Mako Vanapola in terms of what they're doing next season. Uh, Tex Marrow, actually, last week, uh, having watched the Last Dance documentary, uh, I'm not saying that I see complete parallels with uh, Michael Jordan and uh, Marrow Toji, but I do see some similar opportunities for Marrow being um, the kind of player that he is and the standing in the game. And I just wonder what that will do. And, and unfortunately, this word that I'm about to say now, hasn't been banded around in rugby before in the public domain and probably around team environments but what does it do to Marrow's brand by playing in the championship you know there's talks of Marrow potentially being the Lions captain you know does playing a season the championship in the lead up to that put him in a good position to do that but also the brand you know Adidas who sponsor him all the other sponsors you know it's a big decision for him to make and He's not come out yet and said he's definitely staying at Saracens. Obviously, his partner in crime, Jim Hamilton, sat here. No, I mean, George Cruz has, has gone to Japan. Joel Kapoku's now uh, done a U-turn on the Northampton deal. The big one is Marrow because he hasn't got a lot to gain by playing in the championship. He doesn't need rest. Uh, he needs exposure. He needs his profile to stay where it is. And unfortunately, you know, some people might disagree with me. They might not like it. They might not like that side of rugby, but I love it. I think Marrow's got a real opportunity in rugby to be the first mega star that we've seen. And I just don't know whether playing in the championship, even if there are exhibition games, even if there are different training programs for England, whether that will suit someone like Marrow in the position that he's in who needs to play a lot. Well, quick question. Two questions actually on that, Jim. Firstly, did he text you back? No, he did. Oh, he did, did he? Mate, he said he said he speak to me. He just won't come on the podcast. <laughs> uh, and secondly, where there's obviously been, you know, people are looking for things to talk about. So, you know, I know Jono mentioned last week that you know they were talking about a Lions captain, and you know, people have said Alan Jones, people have said Owen Farrell, people have said Maratoji, all for various different reasons. But my thing is, Maratoji's never captained a team, to my knowledge, has he, at the top level? And Jim, you've played with him, you know him particularly well. Would he be suited to be a Lions captain? Because it's easy saying, listen, that guy will be the most physical guy on the field, because he will. And that's a given. Uh, and he will, you know, he's a 
quality player, but captaincy is very different to just being the guy that goes around smashing people and you know being as effective as he is for Saracens and for England. But I think that you look at leadership and it is very different now. And again, I've been lucky enough with my job at Rugby Pass, looking through the archives of historic games, the 95 World Cup final. I interviewed uh, Joel Stransky last week. I spoke to Big Lawrence Delalio about the 97 tour and everything's about leadership, right? I just think that leadership looks a little bit different now in terms of professional sport. In our day, Goody, and it sounds like we're old when we talk about our, our, our day, you know, you're in your prime in your mid-30s. Do you know what I mean? When, you, when you're when 30, 31, 32, 33, and, that, and that's when you're in your prime. You're not now. Your prime as a rugby player, you're 25, 26. Now, I think there's loads of different things that you look at. I don't think that Owen Farrell suited as captain from a fly-half position. I'm still a little bit old school. I think that someone in the forwards needs to do that because they're closer to everything. All the set pieces, naturally, the breakdowns, they're carrying, they're tackling. Everything in rugby, I think, a forward is more suited. That's just my opinion. But I think someone like Marrow, I think being a captain, we saw this with Sam Warburton, is more than your output specifically on the pitch. Yes, that's hugely important, but I don't feel you need to be the very, very best player. I don't think you need to be the most vocal player. And chatting to Lawrence Delalio about that, and Goody, you'll know more than anyone playing with Jono, uh, it wasn't what he said, it's when he spoke that really mattered. He, he wasn't speaking the whole time. Someone like Marrow leads by example. But there's also a profile thing that he is one of the most famous rugby players in the world. But he also conducts himself in a really good manner, in a, in a really positive way, the way that he trains, the way that he handles himself, the way that he speaks in the media. And I think these are all plus things on top of the fact that he is a world-class player as well that would contribute to being a captain. It's short-term in, in, in regards to the season. It's a tour. But there's a lot of other things that go around the marketing. I just think it'd be quite a smart move. And I'm not saying that because Marrow's easy to market. Makes one of the best players in the world. So you put that in. Uh, he leads by example. He knows that he's got an opportunity. He captained the England under-20s to a World Cup. Saracens, he's in the leadership group there. He captained um, the A team there. He captained the uh, the LV team. Mate, he's a leader in that group. So he's respected. when he, He's one of them players now where if he speaks, people listen because he didn't yeah. speak that much. Yeah. But he also leads by example. He's one of the fittest, one of the strongest. I like that idea. I, I, I genuinely do. Having worked with him, having taught him a lot of lot of really positive things about how to conduct yourself. And um, I don't know. I, th- I think he'd be a really... I think he will be. If you're asking me, I, th- I think Matt Marrow will be captain. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting, and you know, looking at hearing you speak about it like that, you, you you make a great case for it. I know you said a couple of years ago he wasn't at that level to be captain material yet when England changed their captain because he was being touted about that then. But I suppose in reality, what I'm my concern with it is because he is that good of a player, you don't want the captaincy to take away from his ability as a player and how he conducts himself on the field and plays, you sometimes start thinking about other things. And some people, it works wonderfully well. And genuinely, look at Dylan Hartley. Dylan Hartley, before he got made England captain, in some circles would have been seen as a liability, you know, the the discipline issues and all that stuff. But when he got made England captain, that was the making of him as an England player for me. And he improved himself on the field because of that captaincy armband. And hopefully, if that does happen tomorrow, yeah, that can be a positive thing. Right, well, let's finish things off with the good, the bad, and the ugly, which is brought to you by Suns again this week, isn't it, Goody? Yeah, it certainly is, and it's been well over three months now, uh, which is when people really start to see the results. Jim's managed to grow his 
beard and bush and hair back and he's also managed to fade his sides up so it must be working wonderfully well eh James? Well my hairstyle now is called a high and tight also known as a high and shite and the sun's part of it isn't shite that's the bit that is high so big thank you to them. Suns is a men's health brand that is helping guys with one of the key issues that they don't often talk about how to keep their hair. They do this by offering free online consultations with GPs providing a range of licensed and medically proven products for preventing and treating hair loss and delivering via a monthly subscription direct to your door. They get results in 9 out of 10 men too and you can take the consultation in less than 2 minutes. So visit suns.co.uk and use the code RugbyPod10 to get your first month for just 10 quid and show hair loss a who's boss. That's S-O-N-S co.uk and the code is rubbypod10 so go and check them out plenty of good this week um we're going to start off with one of my old clubs we always mention one of my old clubs or i managed to get it in there somehow but the mighty wasps jim the mighty wasps you come on here and you bang on about financial things no 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 what's happened let's talk about the re-signings that wasps have made over the last week jimmy goppeth re-signed for the mate, club he's Ma- 43 mate he's 43 but he is one of the best <laughs> players in the prem <laughs> massive massive news thomas young again that is massive news for the club uh great to see him re-sign uh, especially with what happened earlier in the season but the big one for me jack willis he is some player and someone yeah. that i know the club want to build uh, a lot around you know he's a wasp lad he's come through the academy uh, him and his brother are brilliant but jack is a, a wonderful player future club captain without a shadow of a doubt the turnover king uh, he's come back from a horrific knee injury and he's come back as good as if not better than he was uh, before so a big shout out to them but good news from wasps getting some of those re-signings done last week um what else was good we'll mention it world rugby the Sanzar tournament, the Six Nations, the dialogue has been constant between them, uh, talking about moving things around to make a global calendar, uh, trying to align everything together so that the Rugby Championship and the Six Nations get played at the same time. So we've had Sir Bill Beaumont on here, uh, and that was one of the big things about aligning the seasons and getting people talking. Finally, they are doing it, so uh, that's some good news for everyone around the game. Um, what else was good? CVC finalise their deal to invest in the Guinness Pro 14, Jim. Mm-hmm. Needs it. It certainly does. Um, it's great to see that investment is still going ahead despite the pandemic um, that we're in. But yeah, I think it's brilliant. CVC pumping money into uh, the Guinness Pro 14. There's been talks whether or not they'd honour the conversations that they've had. I, I'm not sure where they were in terms of um, the contract and stuff, but no, mate, massive, massive CVC. I wouldn't say they're taking over rugby, but even in this pandemic that we find ourselves in, they clearly still see value, which is great for everyone involved. It certainly is. Um, But the good this week goes to people from South Africa, uh, and specifically Razzy Erasmus. Uh, He's donated his lucky white shirt that he wore throughout 2019 when they won the World Cup and they barely lost a game in order to raise funds for the battle against coronavirus in South Africa. Imagine how smelly that shirt is. I bet it. Can you imagine, mate? It doesn't matter, mate. Mate. I'd smell it, mate. I ain't bothered. Yeah, so he's worn it a lot. He's sweating it a lot. He's celebrated it a lot. So it will smell... It will smell of success. That's what we're trying to say. But it's raising money uh, in the battle against coronavirus in South Africa. And also Sia Khaleesi, Jim's mate, uh, and others who have also been donating kit as well. So a massive shout out to all those players who are raising funds across the globe. Uh, and specifically for a lot of people in South Africa for the coronavirus pandemic. 
the bad. Uh, only really one bit of bad news I could find this week, uh, and unfortunately, it's the women's game. Um, the women's premiership are losing Tyrrells as its title sponsor. Um, it's going to be a tough time when it comes to sponsorship, and that's not good news for the women's game, but really hard news to see a sponsor go, especially a crisp sponsor, and I like Tyrrells crisps, so um, please come back. Please sponsor the women's game again, because they do some wonderful crisps, eh, Jim? I don't know, mate. I don't really eat crisps, so but I'm sure they do, apart from Pringles. Yeah, mate, I have them for breakfast, lunch and dinner, but there we go. Um, <laughs> and then the ugly, um, there's only one really ugly thing for me, and it's the talk of changing the game unbelievably, talking about getting rid of scrums, malls, uh, and all the other things that have come out of some of the research done by World Rugby. You can't do that. And I don't believe that you should change the game just to get it back on the field completely some of the intricate details of how we play the game need to stay and let's not play rugby until they can come back if that is the case because in reality if they took all that out Jim you wouldn't have had a career would you? Mate, it's not about me mate it's not. It's about moving the game forward Goody and uh, it'd be ridiculous please please stop World Rugby stop putting stuff out there now please but I love you Sir Bill and show is no longer there but yeah Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Good. And you guys got a couple of shout-outs to finish off with, haven't you guys? Yeah, I got a huge shout-out to the guys at De Montfort University in Leicester and the guys at Leicester Uni too, uh, as they're racing against one another to run, jog and walk the equivalent distance from the top to the bottom of the UK. So that's 837 miles in total. Uh, they're raising money to help NHS employees on the front line. So great work, guys. And Ben Nossiter has got in touch and wants us to say a big... Who the fuck are Leicester Uni? Leicester Uni, who the fuck are you? Who the fuck are Leicester? I can't swear the kids are downstairs. But anyway, uh, great work, guys. Big shout out to Foxy and his lovely girlfriend, Harriet from Lewis Cook as well. They were supposed to be getting married this weekend. Uh, We're only bothered about the stag do, but anyway, uh, they've had to postpone it. So hope you have a great weekend and let us know when they rearrange the stag do because we will be there. Yeah, and a big shout out to Hammersmith and Fulham uh, Junior Rugby. They've managed to make 490,000 passes and raise a massive £50,000 for Friends of Charing Cross Hospital, uh, which is a charity supporting the patients, staff and community of Charing Cross Hospital in London. So a massive shout out to them. Brilliant amount of money raised. Well done. Thanks, Goody. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Producer Tim. And thank you very much for listening as well. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube and everywhere else. And if you have time, leave us a nice review as well on iTunes. That'd be very much appreciated. Rugby pod. Rugby pod. Pod, pod, pod. (laughs) 